This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, we have been in the book of uh, Malachi here for the past six weeks or so, and uh, it has been a blessing to study this prophecy. Uh, I really love to, to, to focus on the Old Testament in the fall because it helps us look forward to the coming of Christ, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. And particularly today, we're going to see how, remember Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, right? So we're going to see how these last verses of the Old Testament are just leading to the coming of Christ and the New Testament in such a powerful way. Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to look today um, beginning in chapter 3 at verse 13, and we're going to look through the end of the, the verse. Malachi 3 and verse 13 uh, through the end of chapter 4, and um, title this message out of uh, one of the lines in, in chapter 4 and verse 2, healing in his wings. Just beautiful image there that we're going to see of Christ um, in chapter 4. Let's stand as we look at God's word um, together. Malachi 3 and beginning with verse 13, God says, your words against me are harsh, yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches, but for you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am preparing, says the Lord of armies. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. You can be seated. Let's pray. Fathers, as we um, conclude our study of Malachi today, we, we thank you for the 
the power and the beauty of this prophecy. We thank you for the way that these final pages of the Old Testament look forward to the, the opening of the New Testament and to the, the coming of, of Christ. And we pray that you would help us to see Christ today, that, that Jesus would be lifted up, that we would see the beauty and power of his redemptive work and his love and his mercy for us. And Father, I pray if anyone's here today that has not yet entered into a relationship with you, that Father, I pray that they would run to you today and fall into your arms of, of mercy that we see so clearly in the Savior. And we pray it in his name. Amen. So one of the things that we've been seeing throughout the book of Malachi is that the people have been speaking harsh words against God. And we saw this all the way from the very beginning of the book, right? That Malachi opens with God telling his people, I love you. And, and how do they re reply? They say, really? How have you loved us? And then we, we saw that, that God told them, you're, you're not honoring me as your, your, your father. And their, their response was basically, what? I mean, you know, listen, we're going through the motions. We're doing the worship. We're bringing the sacrifices. What more do you want? <clears throat> we saw that God told them that they should stop treating people unjustly that they should begin practicing justice towards other people. And their response was basically, well, you know what? It doesn't really seem to make a difference how we treat people. What difference does it make? And we're going to see more of this attitude today. But what we're also going to see is that there were a group of people who were not like that. There were a group of people who truly love God from their hearts. And what we're going to see is that for those people, there are incredibly beautiful promises that, that God has in, in store. So we begin, though, today with, with another godless accusation that, that people are making against the Lord. So if you're taking notes, that's point one, a godless accusation. So God calls them out on that in, in verse 13. He says, your words against me are harsh, yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? So again, God is calling them out on the harsh words that they've been speaking against him. And once again, they play dumb. They're like, what have we spoken against you? Well, God is going to tell them that in verses 14 and 15. He says, you have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements? Now listen, this is very revealing about where they were spiritually. Now, these words show uh, certainly a lack of gratitude. I mean, think about this situation with, with Israel. So God had not only created them, so they owe their very existence and life and breath to him, but not only had God created them, in Israel's case, God had chosen them. God had chosen them to be his agents of redemption, to be a light to the rest of the nations. 
And so when they were in slavery in Egypt, what did God do? God brought about the exodus, right? God miraculously, supernaturally delivered them from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And he had brought them out to the promised land. And then later on, when because of their own sin, they were sent into exile in Babylon, God had brought them back home from their exile. But yet, what do we see here? There, there's just a complete lack of gratitude for, 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 for all of that. When you think about our own situation, you know, even, to, even if you're here today, and, and there are trials that you're walking through. And I, I know that's the case with, with many of you. It's just the nature of life in this broken, fallen world. But, you know, even if that's the case, the good news in our lives just so far surpasses any of that. Because if you are in Christ, you have experienced a far greater exodus than the children of Israel. Because you have been delivered from slavery and bondage to sin and death. And you are headed towards the ultimate promised land. You have been delivered from a far greater exile than what they experienced because you were estranged from a holy God because of your sins, separated from him. But now because of the shed blood of Christ, you have been brought near and even adopted as a son or daughter of the king and you have an inheritance that is already yours, that is beyond compare, that is ready and and waiting for you. I mean, your future is glorious. Your present is secured. We have so much to be thankful for. And so whatever our situation today, the reality of the gospel, the good news of the gospel trumps all of that. We have so many reasons to be thankful. We also see here in the the attitude of the people just a a lack of authentic love for, for God. And I mean, you can see that in what they say here in verse 14. They say, it's useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements? It's like they, they see God as sort of like an errand boy who exists to do their will. Kind of like a cosmic genie who is just sort of there to, you know, to, to give them gifts. I mean, these people love the gifts of God, but they don't have any love for the giver. They, they see faith in God as simply a, a means of, of gain. There's not really an authentic love for, for God. Old Testament scholar Ray Clendenin says this, these people were not interested in righteousness or a relationship with God, only in gain. That is profit, the bottom line, material prosperity. What does this sound like? What does it sound like using faith as a means of material gain? It sounds like the health and wealth gospel, which is no gospel at all. It sounds like the prosperity theology, which is propagated today in our culture, you know, by people like Benny Hinn and, and, and Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar and, you know, uh, Paula White and Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen, where, you know, faith is ultimately a means of health and wealth. 
of, of, and, and God is seen as sort of a cosmic cash machine who is just sort of, of, of there to, 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 to give us things. It's like there's no authentic love for who he is. No authentic love relationship with him. You know, and that was the case with, with, with this group of people. But listen, they're not the only group of people in Israel. There's another group of people. There, was, there were a group of people who truly did love God from their hearts. And for them, God has beautiful, beautiful promises. So the second thing we see here is a father's love. A father's love. Let's look at verses 16 and, and 17 of chapter 3. It says, At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord took notice and listened So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had a high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who who serves him. Listen, God knows his own. God knows his own. God knows who truly belongs to to him. As a beautiful picture in the Gospel of John and and John 10 where it it says that that Jesus knows his sheep and he he calls his own sheep by name. If if you belong to, to, to God, he knows you. He knows you intimately. Jesus says even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows and understands everything that's happening in your life. He sees everything that you're going through. He's seen every tear that you've cried. He knows you. He knows every quiet act of obedience and sacrifice that you have have made. God knows your struggles. God God knows the thoughts of your hearts. He knows your hearts inside out. He knows you. He loves you and it says here that that he has he has compassion for you as a as a father has compassion for for his children for his son I was I was thinking about my son as I was working my way through this text I was thinking about something that he was going through last winter and and spring he was getting ready to finish college in in May and so he was in the midst of trying to negotiate the the job market and that can be a stressful time in a young adult's life just kind of knowing they're getting ready to finish college and 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 you know in the midst of studies and all of that you got to find a job and so he was going through interviews with different companies and and things like that and I could just tell he was just sort of stressing out about he wanted just to have things in place and everything by the time he he graduated so we would often text or or call uh, during those days and can just remember one day when he was really burdened and he had an interview that was coming up and he wanted to talk to me about just kind of you know tips maybe to help him walk through that that interview and everything and so Caleb called me and he said dad I'd like to talk with you if you've got time I said stop (laughs) stop right there time out I said son there will never be a time when I don't have time 
for you. I love my son. But listen, the, the compassion that we have as earthly, as earthly parents pales in comparison to the compassion that our heavenly father has for us. Our, our love is imperfect. As much as we love our kids, our love for them is imperfect because we're sinners. God's love is perfect. It is totally untainted by sin. Think about the how much you love your kids. Think about the compassion that you have for them. And then just multiply that. Just square that out to an infinite degree. That's how much compassion God has for his children. Listen, in Christ, you have been adopted as a son or daughter of the king, a beloved son or daughter. As we sung earlier, you can run to him anytime. He's always there. He knows who are his. He knows the difference between those who are his and who are not. Verse 18, it says, so you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Listen, there are all kinds of differences between people in this world. There are political differences. There are racial differences. There are ethnic differences. There are differences in the languages that we speak. There are differences in the places where we live. There are differences in socioeconomic backgrounds that we, that we come from. But ultimately, the only difference that matters in the eyes of God is the difference between those who serve him and those who do not those who know him and those who do not. And God knows. God knows. And, and listen, sometimes those who, those who pretend to know him, who appear to know him, who are very religious on the outside, they really do not. Because what have we seen in Malachi. The very people in the book of Malachi that God is calling out, they were very religious people. In the book of Malachi, listen, the people that God is calling out for, their, for all of their sin, all of their injustice, those people are not irreligious people. No, they were, they were religious people, but they were just going through motions. It wasn't real. And God could see through their pretension and through their facade. But listen, the day is coming when those who truly know him are going to be revealed. Sometimes in this life, it can be masked. You don't really know. But one day, it's all coming out. <laughs> the, the true sons and daughters of God are going to be revealed on that day. And God talks about that day here. So that's the third thing that we see here is the, the coming day. Verse one of, of chapter four, God says, for look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. Listen, God's talking here about judgment day. The day that's being referred to here is the day of judgment. 
It's not really fashionable to talk about stuff like that today, right? It's not really politically correct to talk about judgment day and hell and things like that. I was on a plane one time with a, with, and I was sitting beside a woman and we got into a, a gospel conversation and she said, she said, well, you know what? I, I, I don't believe in all that stuff about judgment and hell. I just believe in the teachings of Jesus. At which point I knew she'd never read the teachings of Jesus in her life. Because when you read the four gospels, like, there's a lot there about judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says that just as it's appointed for people to die once and after this judgment. Listen, the issue is not whether judgment day is coming. That's not the issue. The issue is are you prepared for that day? How do you get prepared? One word, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus took the judgment that we deserve on the cross On the cross, the one who had no sin took our sins upon himself. On the cross, Jesus experienced condemnation so that we don't have to be condemned. On the cross, Jesus experienced all of the righteous wrath of God against sin so that we don't have to be objects of of, of wrath one day. If you're in Christ, your, your judgment day has essentially already happened. Right? Jesus took the judgment that we deserved. Turn to him. Trust him if you never have. He's the only way to be prepared for judgment. We need a savior. Verse two. This is the most beautiful verse in the book of Malachi and it is climactic in so many ways. Verse two. God says, but for you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. This beautiful verse is really a picture of your future if you know Christ. And and God gives us two images here. The, the second one that we see is um, calves playfully jumping like they've just let, been loose from the stall. So imagine these, these, these calves, not fully grown. They're still like playful. And so they're let, they're let go of their st- from their stall in the morning and they, they just go forth just kind of bouncing, kind of like little puppies or whatever, you know, in the morning when they're just, they just, they're let, they're let out of their room and they're just jumping around. They're bounding for joy. I love it at, at the end of the, the World Series when the, the, the final game is over and the last out has been made and the winning team, the, the, all the guys just kind of, they mob one another in the center of the diamond and they're all, they're all just kind of jumping, jumping up and down, you know, grown men just acting like, like little boys. That's the image here. Just joyful, joyful uh, dancing celebration that is coming. The other image that we see here is of the, the rising sun. Look at it again. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with, with healing in its wings. The, the image here is of, of a sunrise. 
Now, you know, sun, sunsets are, are pretty wonderful, especially if you're on the West Coast or maybe on the Gulf Coast of Florida and, and, it, and, it, and at sunset, you know, you can just you see the sun going down over the ocean. That's pretty spectacular. But East Coast sunrises are pretty cool, too. The problem is that when we're at the beach, a lot of times we don't get up in time <laughs> to see the sunrise. Unless you're like me and you can't manage to sleep until the dawn, even if you would like to. You're up when the sun come, comes up. And so, you know, when we're at, when we're at the beach, at, at, the, at the Outer Banks, I'm, I'm up, you know, well, well before the, the sunrise. Um, and there's, there's one member of my family who, who tells me to wake them up so that they can see the sunrise. But then when I wake them up to see the sunrise, they basically tell me to go away. Um, and I don't want to call anybody out or be overly specific, but this member of my family is female. Um, this member of my family is my youngest daughter, and her name is Cassidy, okay? But other than that, you can figure it out. So this is the way it goes. Cassidy will say the night before, Dad, I want to, I want to see the sunrise. I want you to wake me up. Okay, sweetheart. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, it's going to be a sweet daddy-daughter time together and everything, and I'm, I'm up early, and I'm looking forward to waking her up, and so I go in there before the sunrise, and I'll just tell her, hey, honey, it's, you know, it's, it's, time, it's, time, it's time to get up, and she, she'll wake up and look at me like, what? Are you crazy? Pulls the covers back over her head. She's like, go away. Leave me, leave, leave me alone. Well, one time, one time I got her to do it, and so we went out while it was still dark. She actually filmed it. It's really, really beautiful. But that, the image here is of the sunrise, and when it talks about healing, healing in its wings, so the, the wings here that are being pictured are the rays of the sun just splitting, splitting out from the sun. So if you've ever seen this, when you go out and you look out over the ocean, it's still, you know, it's pitch dark outside, but then even before the ball of the sun comes up, even before then, the, 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 the rays, the wings of the sun are just shooting out over the top of the horizon. And it's still dark outside, but those, those wings, those rays are shooting out and you know what's coming, right? And that's, that's where we are right now. We, we live in a fallen world. It's dark in a lot of ways. It's broken in a lot of ways. It's fallen, it's dark, but yet we know what's coming, right? The sun is rising. And listen, you can know that, that no matter what you're going through today, whatever trials there are in your life, listen, the sun is rising in your life. If you know Christ, your trials are not going to last. The sun is rising with healing in its wings. And the sun is, the sun is coming. And this passage points to the, the, the first coming of Christ, which has already happened. And there's going to be a second coming. The S-O-N is, is coming again. And so we have all of that to look, to look forward to. There's actually a, a beautiful picture in Luke 1. And one of the prophecies of the coming of Christ in the first chapter of Luke. What does it say? It says, the 
dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness. This is probably a reflection on Malachi 4 and verse 2. The coming of Christ is pictured as the the rising sun, as as the the dawn coming to visit us, to shine on those who live in, in darkness. Christ is coming. Now let's look at verses five and, and six. These are, these are the final two verses of the Old Testament. Not just the last two verses of Malachi, the last two verses of the Old Testament. God says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So, in these final verses of the Old Testament, we see something that points to the first pages of the New Testament. Because the promise here in verse 5 is that this this Elijah-like figure is coming. Someone who is, is coming who is going to be sort of like the prophet Elijah. And it says in verse 6 that he will do what? He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And now we get to the opening verses in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. And what do we see in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17? And he will go before him in what? In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So provisionally, Malachi 4, 5, and 6 are fulfilled in the life and ministry of John the Baptist. But ultimately, they are fulfilled and the one that John was pointing to. Because what was the task of John the Baptist? Look at Luke one seventeen again. It was to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. John's role was to point to Christ. And so these verses point to Christ. Look at verse 6 again. It says at the end of verse 6, Otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. And like the people in Malachi, like the sinners in the book of Malachi, if we got what we deserved, we would get a curse. But instead of giving us what we deserve, God in his grace and mercy gave his son for us, who became a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Old Testament scholar Matthew Harmon writes, in order for the son of vindication to rise on us for our healing and blessing, 
Christ had to go into the utter darkness of disgrace and condemnation in our place to be condemned and consumed like chaff burning to ashes. Jesus cursed for us, but after becoming our curse on the cross, Jesus became our hope by rising from the dead so that one day we can rise alive and dancing with joy. Let's pray together. Father, again, we, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel that is pointed to so clearly in this prophecy. Thank you for being able to walk through it together and we pray that you would just prepare our hearts as we, we celebrate the coming of Christ this Christmas. As we just reflect before God for just a moment, listen, we talked today about having a real relationship with the Lord, a real love for him. And God knows our, our hearts. But listen, if, you, if you're here today and, and you're not certain that you've come to know Christ as your Savior, listen, why not right now? <laughs> why not just settle this right now? Why not just drive a stake in the ground right now and say, Lord, I turn to you. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And right now I turn to you. I'm turning I'm turning from seeking to do life my, my way apart from you, and I am turning to you. And Lord Jesus, I am trusting you. I'm receiving you as, as my Savior and, and Lord. Turn to him and trust him right now. Maybe you're here today and you, you came into the service with just a, a deep, a burden in your life. Maybe there's something that you need to, we sung earlier about laying it all down. Maybe there's something that you need to lay down today. Maybe it's a burden that you've been carrying. Maybe it's a sin that needs to be repented of. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be restored. But whatever it is, settle it today. And so Lord, we ask that you would, would work deeply in our hearts right now as we sing and we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. 
You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.